Hey everyone, welcome back to the Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lennon. Today's guest is Global DNI keynote speaker and founder of clothing brand Human Collective, Connor Buckley. I know I say this all the time, but Connor's passion, commitment, and positivity made this conversation one of my all time favorites on The Futurist. We cover a lot in this episode, from the challenges to diversity and inclusion in the workplace, to how Connor and his team are battling to build a truly environmentally and socially conscious clothing brand. He shares how the death of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020, sparked a grief and fire in him that inspired him to follow in his mother's activist footsteps and take his own activism to another level. To the charities that Human Collective supports, to the way it's supporting communities in Ireland, Connor is proving what can be truly achieved when your heart and spirit are committed to real change. One of the reasons I began this podcast was to learn and to listen and This was one of those conversations where I sat back and just soaked up the incredible knowledge and insight that Connor has. He's such an open person and I was delighted to find out that we actually share a Mallow connection up Cork. (laughs) I know you're going to get so much out of this conversation. I honestly could have spoken to him all day, but I wanted to keep it short and sweet for you guys. So please enjoy this conversation with Connor. There was a little bit of sound issues on Connor's end, but I'm sure you'll overlook it as this conversation is just so good enjoy and if you do enjoy it don't forget to like subscribe and share it with a friend over to my conversation with Connor Buckley it is so great to have you here I have been watching Human Collective unfold for a while and I'm so excited to get into it because there's just every single pillar that a new company should have you guys are tackling in in your own really unique way it's not just a box ticking exercise like this is a company that really has deep roots in so many different social and environmental initiatives so let's get into it how and when did you decide to start human collective i guess if i've said pinpointed to an exact day it would be the 25th of may 2020 um joe that was a day when i often say this or ask this question when i talk to corporates does anyone remember the date and uh it's interesting to see most people do is when George Floyd passed away. So he was murdered by that policeman. And um, I think it was the first time the world kind of came together and, and there was a universal empathy for something and for someone. And I started, I, I, I spoke to my brother that day and he talked about how upset he was. And we were both really sad and grieving it. Grieving this man we'd never met before passing away. Subsequently, I reached out to a lot out of the black community that I knew found that they were all going through this in general mourning. So um I wanted to do something different. I guess I was on this journey of discovery in a sense. My mum, Christine Buckley, was an activist and a campaigner as well. So it was all that side of like trying to I guess social justice was in the family, if that makes sense, or in our blood. Um and I felt that we wanted to do I wanted to do something that was given back to the community and it was had a bit more of a prestige. We can't even imagine how difficult and how triggering and like you said, you were grieving. It takes something very powerful in someone though to take that grief and anger and all of those emotions and actually channel it into something really positive. So would you put that down to your mom and her activist history like you had seen her, you know, go through something really difficult and actually decide that she was going to do something positive with it? Yeah, yeah. I think mom was a great influence on me. Um, my dad is a great influence on me. He's a really like just the most honest, straight up person you can meet. You know, he's just everything is by the book. Everything's the right way to do it. Um, and I also think I was always involved with 
like charity cycles or um we used to do a charity cycle for my mum's center um we did a charity event for a priest that passed away in our local community from M- ms and um, so it's always i don't know drawn to those that type of event i felt like you know it shouldn't be businesses shouldn't be all about just the bottom line um even one of the first events we ever did when i was into nightclubs and bars and restaurants we we, we donated some, some of the proceeds to cancer and um, it was always something that I always wanted to do, you know. So there was always that element. And in fairness, when I worked in one business, there was always that element of giving back as well. You know, I think just I think businesses, if they can, they should try and give back. So I was always drawn to that. But my mom, I always feel like my mom, even though she's passed away, her voice is still in my head in a way. As in, like she, you know, even when I'm in a situation with someone, I could nearly hear her saying like, "Ah, oh, the." Uh, She'd say, "Ah, oh, the poor, you know, the poor fecker doesn't have Anthony Connor or the, uh, you know, you got to feel." She'd always make, make me change my mindset to a situation going, you know, what that person might be going through a difficult time, so maybe just, you know. So I've always had that. I guess I've always had that. Yeah, that connection. I always ask myself what my mum doing in this situation as well. I think that's a lovely voice to have in your head and obviously it inspired you to get going with this. So you'd obviously had like a lot of experience in business, but. Fashion is a really different model. Look at you laughing. It's yeah. very complex. And this is the thing people don't realize. They think it's just T-shirts and clothing. Fashion is so complex. So what gave you the urge to get into fashion? And what was your experience like starting out with it? Yes. Yeah, so originally we, I started working on a, I probably started working on a documentary for a with a, with a social psychologist. That was something that um, we did. Sorry, I did a talk for 40 with my brother. So that was that helped us on this this pathway, um, and I wanted to. So I wanted to do was to try and I guess change people's mindset on discrimination and bias, and obviously on, on racism and um, and I thought that clothes was your most visible asset. I saw this amazing lady called Jane Elliott. So she was an American educator. Well, Jane is white. Okay, so she's eighty eight years of age now. So she wasn't a you know she wasn't a black campaigner. She's a white campaigner campaigning for black people, which is even double doubly positive in a sense that it's real allyship and she had a jumper on her saying there's only one race the human race and i'm always listening to people talk about different races different races there's only one race the human race there's different heritage and people mix backgrounds but there's only one race the human race i don't think that's actually said enough to people growing up to everyone so this jumper had that big logo on it and i went oh god i love the jumper but no one's gonna wear it out it's just too strong or maybe some people would but it's quite strong so I was really always interested in um, behavioral science. There was a guy called Robert Kildini, and he talked about how people need to make small commitments at the start to make bigger commitments. So we decided to go with the equal sign. And equal sign is all about equality. It's a universal symbol. It's very subtle. It might spark a conversation between you and I and say, oh, you might say to me, well, what's this? Well, it's an equal sign that we've got the pride colors here. Um, pride edition we did in June. And we, actually, we do 365 days a year. That was the, the first element to it. Now, when you talk about fashion being complicated, it is unbelievably complicated, Joe. Like, the more you delve in, the more complicated it gets. And you think the home of fashion might be Italy, and you get samples from Italy, and all of a sudden the product isn't good, and all of a sudden they're real sketchy on the the, the uh, sustainability element of us, you know, and they're really trying to talk you out of all the sustainability element. I mean, people would hang up the phone when you meant sustainability. You'd go, the non-negotiables were that it had to be sustainable, you know, and we were open to it could be sustainability advised. We were open to it if it was made of hemp or and there's lots of other new products that people were telling me about, but we're just, we're, we're just not there yet. And, and a lot of the processes aren't there yet. And you'd be six months in line and they try and say, oh, by the way, this is only cotton. We'd say it has to be organic cotton. So we can't do that. And they just hang up the phone. I'm like, 
It's taken six months to tell me you couldn't do this when it was a non-ago. You could at the start. So actually, I've, two factories did that to us, where they they'd bring you down the line of us and they'd say, "No, we can't. We can't actually do it in the end." Um, I know, but he sent you samples, and I'd say the sample, "I don't think this is organic." And they go, "Oh yeah, it's not." Well, why did you send it to me then? So, oh, it's just for the sample. We want it to be organic, or we want it to be cotton. No, I need the whole thing to be. I, I just yeah. So the whole idea for for us was to be like. I guess the sustainability element, I'm still, hands up, I'm still learning about that side of it. You know, the most important thing for us was that there was the, qual the quality of the messing. But I think as human collective, we couldn't do it if we weren't looking after mining our planet. You know, so that was, that was a, and actually the manufacturer who was most consistent with us at the start, they had all the certifications, they had all the approvals. So we wasn't, we'll be honest with you, obviously we're better approved. And I know that's something that, that wasn't a non-negotiable for us. That was just a bonus for us, you know? Um, and I, and it was interesting as well as, because we've done so much work with corporates, that sustainability is so important to them. So we didn't realize that sustainability would be such a big deal for them. And then also, Joe, I'm going off a little bit now again, I'm talking a lot here, but ESG, which is environmental social governance, that was new to us as well. So we didn't realize that all of a sudden we'd have two big, multinational funds saying we want you to be in our in our supermarket because you not only do the social side of things by giving back to charity but you also are, are the sustainability side of things so why we didn't we didn't realize the human collective takes a lot of boxes for people so at one stage we turned around to the company and we couldn't afford rent in one of the, the shops they're giving us and so they said there's no rent okay so then we said we couldn't afford the commercial rates we just couldn't and they and they said you know what we'll pay your commercial rates so actually, yeah, amazing, like amazing. By the way, this is in Dublin city centre. And we've actually, we haven't gone for that unit. We've gone for another unit where we do have to pay commercial rates because it's just a little bit better. But like people, people have been really kind, but they also, I didn't realise the human collective would have such a, um, a strong, I don't know, just a strong connection to, to everyday life. So the world's actually turned itself around a bit, Joe, in 2022. Like environmental social governance, diversity inclusion was not a priority for companies five years ago. And now it really is. We've talked to over 60 companies about it. So it's been quite interesting. Sorry, I've been talking a lot. <laughs> no, yours, you know, and it's so interesting. And I and I love how you're you've kind of said that like the sustainability thing happened by accident, but looking back on it, it didn't because you founded the company in such a and such a pure foundation and really to do something powerful and to open a conversation. And like I said, it wasn't a box ticking exercise. You then carried that ethos through so you wanted to make sure that it was made by people who were being paid a fair wage and ethically but it didn't have a harmful impact on the on the environment so to me it proves what I always believe which is that if you have a really good intention with something and if you really start and you keep that intention true it will filter through that doesn't mean it's going to be easy and that's why I really commend you because it would be really it would have been a lot easier for you guys to just chosen any supplier being like this is our ethos and just gone with it so the fact that you actually stuck with it and continued even when suppliers are themselves greenwashing and pulling you along for six months in the hopes that actually by the time the six months comes and they give you the information you'll be too exhausted to battle it and that is what happens unfortunately so I think the fact that you've prevailed at a time when all of this stuff is really new to suppliers and manufacturers and they are resisting a little bit it just speaks volumes about how pure your intentions have been and why it's been why it's successful because people know that that's really what you stand for it's so easy to kind of say things in this world at the moment especially when companies are jumping on ESG and sustainability everyone wants those buzzwords and to be connected to them to actually come through with it is such a challenge 
and you guys have done it's really exciting one factory came in with the best pricing so we, we contacted this dutch factory and holland is brilliant for clothing like got certification comes from holland and it was a great guy he was brilliant and he said look connor you're probably too small for me now but i'm gonna pass you on to another contact they sent me best pricing ever half the price let half the price we're paying now so i, I decided to create a questionnaire they're going to be it's going to be sustainable all outside of it they sent me back to certain certification but I, I i created a questionnaire saying about child labor and this type of thing and it, i these were just questions i popped in my head i didn't do any research online i just thought these are important for us i sent it on to this factory and they said and they said they were like pricing was much better you know it really was a it would have, would have made our lives so much so much easier and they said we don't want to work they just wrote back an email we don't want to work with you anymore just like that didn't answer the questions they said we're not we said they said we're not going to answer these questions we do not want to work with you anymore and like you're in a situation you're going oh my god i just lost an amazing supplier um and like like you know and it, <laughs> like it, it it that that was that that supplier would have like and like like when i look at some companies and businesses who do the clothing so cheap and look we all know about the fast fast fashion but even our suppliers who do their stuff quite cheap and doing really well fair play to them we just can't do that we just can't do it you know and and uh we just can't make it make it work and especially when we give back to charity we just can't make it work so our stuff isn't cheap you know we'd like to think it lasts longer i really do believe that the quality and we've been you know we've been on our rlm and we've had lots of different stylists talk about the incredible quality of our clothing which has been amazing um and it really would be easier to get every day, to be honest with you, there's someone onto me on LinkedIn from, from Asia going, we want to supply your product, we want to supply your product, you know? I've been literally so fatigued from those experiences that like it's so hard not to just move away from our current supplier. We do, we have found a new factory in Poland. We want to tra travel over and meet, meet the people. One of the girls on our team is Polish. So it's, I think it's been a bit more, she, it's been a real, I guess, mission for her to do it. And they're a small family run factory as well which feels a little bit better where before we've worked with intermediaries and factories, which makes things a little bit more difficult. You know, sometimes you just want to get to the, get to the factory and to get to the root of the, and meet the people behind it. And um, so it's been a great, I think they've trusted her more, but she's Polish and she trusts trust them more. So I'm really fingers crossed about this new factory because ultimately we want to create some kind of really bespoke products and this manufacturer offers, offers that facility. So that's so exciting. And like you said, it's just a constant, journey you're always going to be reviewing and trying to find better processes but it sounds like where you're at is is really really good you've touched on your team there and that's something I really want to talk about because I noticed a couple of months ago you guys did a shoot and it was it just looked fantastic it was like really diverse it was not the kind of typical fashion shoot and I guess that's the thing when it comes to you and collective you're kind of disrupting the typical fashion template that everyone kind of follows you know you, you haven't gone for the cheap supplier um your shoot was really different I'd love for you to maybe talk about the shoot and why you decided to take that um creative approach to it yeah thanks for me and Joe like that was I love hearing that because I you know, when you're when you are disrupting it it doesn't feel like a positive thing in a sense you feel like you're why aren't we sticking to the rules here? You know, you like, why are we like everyone telling us that we should do it this this way? And um, what was amazing about that was like last week I met a lady, um, Colonia Duff, who did the photo shoot. So she volunteered, saw it on Instagram, applied first, and ended up um, uh, coming in on the day, really low confidence, like really shy, came in really timid girl, and um came alive on the shoot we actually were we, it was amazing shoot because we kind of everything was an incredible atmosphere it's great photographer called alex hutchinson who um it was behind us behind us and 
there's like cheering going on at every shot. Like people who are familiar with, like we did, we did, we, like a hairdresser called James Coleman, great guy as well. Elaine, who's um, makeup. Like there was just this air of energy, which is incredible. And I thought maybe that's what happens. And I was like, no, we've never been to shoot like that before. So experienced people were like, this is amazing. A great cook called Justine King was on the shoot to just create the mood boards and everything. So it was, it's just a really good fun element to it. And we really brought people like Anya out. And then Anya said from that, she applied for Miss Ireland. And she became, she came Fort Miss Ireland there. So she met, she, she sent me a message there, sorry, two weeks ago saying, I've never gone to Miss Ireland. You gave me so much confidence. And uh, we met up and I hadn't seen her since she came in, but like, she was a be- like, beautiful looking lady. And the funny thing is when we sent out all our press stuff, most of her images land quicker than anyone else, you know? And uh, she, yeah, she just didn't have, didn't have the confidence. And so she was from, she won Miss, Miss Mead. And she went on to Miss Miss Ireland from it. So that was a lovely thing that we gave so much great confidence. But we had we had people from direct provision on that shoot. And one guy walked in again, very shy, um, dark guy, uh, and just as soon as the camera came on, he put on the sunglasses and it was just brilliant. Sorry, two guys. That was the first guy. The second guy, his mum came in and um she had a son who was 22 and she had a son who was two. Okay. So she had a son who was maybe I'm sorry, maybe three. He was actually one or two of the shots, and uh, she she couldn't she couldn't get a babysitter obviously for the for the for the shoot. So she brought him along, and the brother or the son who was twenty two, uh, he came along just to keep an eye on, on the baby as well. And she jumped into all the shots. She's brilliant. She's on her Instagram, and he, as he was leaving, I said, "I thought you'd jump into a couple of the shots." And he said, "Ah, oh, no, I was just for my mom. So we'd love you to be in." And he came on. And he was absolutely brilliant. So it was just it was it was a great thing to do. Like I I understand um. A lot of people you speak to about those type of shoots, it's really fatiguing for the photographer. I didn't realize that because they have to work the person in a way. Because like you and I, we might be okay in a photo, but we're, that's not our profession. We don't do it every day. And, and you got to tease out that type of energy from people. So I think it was a lot of work on the day for the photographer in general. But it was, uh, it was an amazing thing to do, you know, and the shots were, the shots were great. And it was great to see that we got such a diverse cast naturally, you know. Um, uh, so yeah, we're really proud of that one, and we want the people to feel comfortable as well. You know, people people to feel comfortable in who they are, and um, I can I, I'd love to do something like that again. Um, we haven't really done a shoot since then, but we'd love to do something like something like that again in the future. You know, the difficulty is in Ireland; it's actually quite difficult to get a diverse crew just to stand up, diverse people to stand up and go. Yeah, I'd love to be it. Like our first, I think our first thirty people were all were all white female in their late thirties. You know, so it's very difficult to try and find people. Um, so that's probably like in the UK, I'm sure it'd be easier to do. And why do you think that is? Like, it takes a lot of confidence to put yourself out there. But why do you think other communities are slow to come forward when, when your brand is about inclusion and about creating this community? What can we do to help people feel like they can be part of this? It's really interesting because in, in general, Joe, I was in with the CEO of Sky there last week. Okay, got a great guy called JD Buckley, really taking the if you think about diverse inclusion, we've done so we've talked to so many companies. He's probably the first CEO to get in the room and make it like top of the agenda, you know. So we've done some great work with companies and senior directors, but like as a CEO to be in the room. And he was saying that he wants more talent that's diverse. I think it's just harder for people, even though they want diverse talent, it's actually hard enough to find it in lots of ways. And like someone else, we were doing a talk for another company last week and they were talking about a war on talent. It's hard to get really, 
really, which is hard to get diverse. So they, they generally have good intentions. A lot of companies have good intentions to hire and have a more diverse team, especially at senior level. And it's just difficult to, to attract that talent. And and maybe it, in some ways it's it's confusing because one in, tw- one in eight people now in Ireland come from mixed heritage. So we have a social psychologist in our team. So some, as you, as you know, from growing up in Mallow, there's so many more diverse people in Ireland than ever before. So um, I don't know why it's probably not maybe why it's not trickling through as much. Black History Month's coming up in October and we're working with um, a professor of African studies, Ibn Joseph, on it. And it'd be interesting to see her, hear her take on it, you know? Yeah, and I think for a lot of, my, in my own experience, it kind of takes someone to give someone the in like you guys did, like make that yeah. invitation open. And I actually learned a really good lesson. I was working with a company last year and there was a shoot being planned. And um, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, but it was Roz Purcell was the was the talent. And she asked if she could select her own team. And she selected a hairdresser and a makeup artist, both of whom none, no one on the team had heard of. And they were amazing. And through them, People met other stylists and other photographers. So it took someone in that position to actually suggest them and bring them in. And that opened the door. So I guess we all just need to keep that that door open. And and if you're in a position like that, bring people with you. They may not necessarily be willing to take the step themselves because it's it's difficult. But if you can bring them in, maybe that's a good way to start. That's a great example. Yeah, Joe, that's a really great by touching maybe a couple of people in that community. And, you know, if you have a great experience at a work or whatever it is, you tell your closest friends, you know, um, they're more likely to join up. And there is, there was an example of that in Sky as well, how they recruited one person for the black community. And then subsequently they did, they did recruit more people because their friend told them, look, I've had a great experience, you know. Um, so there is that, I, yeah, definitely. Really interesting, God. I, I love to go on of your dni talks and you do them to corporate is it corporates all around ireland is it big companies small companies yeah everybody like we've been i originally told it just be big tech and um, we've ended up doing talks for like construction companies uh financial services professional services some traditional companies that you wouldn't really think would be driving the dni agenda forward but like there's a great company called mac construction and they were very keen to do it. And we went into their offices and did it. And it was really, I always ask people what brings you. It's quite an interesting story from one of the ladies in Mac Construction where it was for Pride and, you know, a member of her family was part of the LGBT community, you know, and, and she just wanted to be more of an ally, more of a supporter. So, um, but yeah, I'm always fascinated to see what brings people, what drives it. Because when you go on a call with a corporate client, probably in the first 20 minutes, half an hour, you'll know if they're really serious about this or if it's a box ticking exercise or if it's just not going to happen, you know, um, you, you know, you'll, you'll see who, who the people really are that are driving it forward. And uh, thankfully we've worked with a lot of people who are genuinely want to make a change. And actually in, a, in an interesting way, it makes their job. I mean, one guy we were talking to yesterday and he, was, he works in the civil service and this is really exciting for him, you know, cause in a way he's changing people's mindset. He's changing the world slightly, you know, he's changing his organization. So, um, I like working with people like that that are genuinely really, really like driving it forward because it takes that drive to change things. It really does. And always tell when people are truly invested. It's like you with the clothing company, like, you know, there's so many easy outs once you're just ticking the box. It really takes a different kind of commitment to be invested. So I'm so excited to hear that so many people, especially from, you know, companies you wouldn't expect are getting involved. That's that's really, really positive. Like even on our team, like so Momobo, who's a, our social psychologist, if you don't have diverse people around the table, you actually definitely miss a beast. 
Like, for example, our social media, anyone's social media, if you just have all the same people around it, the social media is going to reflect that. Everything's going to reflect that. So it's really important, actually, because diverse people understand diverse marketplaces. They understand diverse people's thought process a bit more, and they just give diverse opinions. So not everyone's yes, not yes men's or yes women saying the same thing over and over again. So it's actually it's actually more profitable in the long run for these diverse teams. So many studies now and so much research on how much more successful and how much happier workforces are if it's a diverse workforce. Like you're not in this vacuum. I mean, who wants to work? That there's no expansion or growth in that. So thankfully, we're getting to a place where that's actively being encouraged and supported. And it should just be the norm. Like it shouldn't even have to be something that people are like, are we being diverse enough? It should just be part of every company's makeup. When it comes back to the clothing company, you guys have had amazing success since your start. And I know you mentioned talking about a retail space there. Are you, I know you've been, you've already been in a space, right? What's the long-term plan there? Yeah, retail, I always get scared of it, you know, because it's not something I'm familiar with. And you're obviously, a lot of these places, like when you go to them, you've got to be doing 60 hours a week or 65 hours a week and manpower. And, you know, you hear a lot about theft and, and that type of thing. So I was always a little bit scared of it with a place um, in Sandyford. That was great. We brought a brilliant girl in uh, onto the team, head of operations, Joanna. She turned a kind of an office into a retail space. And that was great for us because it just brought in, you know, revenue, nothing nothing crazy, but it really it really helped. And uh, it gave us, gave our customers a chance to try on clothing, which was something that, you know, I, I don't, I personally need to try on the clothing, you know, before I really trust the brand. Um, and since that, I spoke to a guy in a, a property company and he offered us a place for free paying the rates and everything and that was amazing that was a college green which is you know city center um but we felt that we wanted to be a bit closer so at the moment we're talking about doing something in stevens green which would be great yeah and like obviously like i grew up going into stevens green it was you know it's a great shopping center it's bang in the city center which i liked you know we done drum was an option as well but it's something about being a little bit closer to both the north side and the south side was important to us as well not just to be a Southside business in a way. Um, and uh, we just, just felt like we liked the idea. The shop, the shop was ground for and seems green. So we're very, very close to, to doing something on that. Um, I think the shop is going to be an office as well, which is important. Because um, we do have three or four members of the team. So it means that we can get to meet our customers, which is really important. And also we can continue doing our corporate work as well. Because the corporate side of things, we've just been named as the preferred supplier for Google, which is a huge achievement to be honest with you in less than a year yeah um i think we're replacing patagonia so i don't know when this is going live but hopefully <laughs> hopefully it'll be confirmed by then anyway so that would be amazing and that, that's a hard process we've actually i got a call with them later on that's a it's a tough process to go through you know um because obviously they they, they need to make sure they're they're covered in every way um, and we'd love to think that if that goes well that we'll you know um we'll get into more companies we've already done jumpers for salesforce and um, linkedin Google already, um, uh, EY, RSA, uh, Richmond Marketing, Irish Lights. We've done a, done a lot of clothing for a lot of businesses anyway, um, and uh, yeah, it's a great comment. The corporate side of things has been a great has been a great success for us. 
Oh my god, congratulations on Google. I love that you're like challenging Patagonia for business. That's when you know <laughs> you've made the sustainability goldenness. Like that's a big deal. That's so well, exciting. I love that. I love that you're looking at retail too, because you're right. And it's nice for people to feel like they come into a space and it's your space. They get a, a, a feeling for the overall sense of the company and the community and the kind of ethos you're trying to build. So that that's really exciting. I really want to ask about the three charity partners you have because this is yet another layer that you have to, to the company, which is just mind-blowing. Yeah, so one of the things is, I think when you talk to talk, you have to walk to walk. And we wanted to see, look, we knew the margins would be really tough in retail, in retail and clothing and fashion. We wanted to give back to charity because I think every business should give something back, you know, and maybe it's not their first year or second year, but we've done it in our first year. So we've provided over a thousand meals to disadvantaged children through our youth foundation. That was particularly important for me because my mom would have been, uh, obviously in an orphanage growing up, a disadvantaged child would have spoken about not getting hot meals and, and the importance of it. And one family, an amazing family in Shakur would have brought her out every Sunday for a hot meal. I think that was something that really resonated with me. They also do mentorship programs for women. Um, the second charity, which is an amazing charity, uh, CEO called Perry Ogden set up Sari, which is Sports Against Racism Ireland. And we've done an anti-discrimination workshop with them for inner city kids, 40 children. It was an amazing day, uh, Joe, where we brought... We did five-side tournaments, something I love about sport in a way of explaining things. And we brought the captains to one side and the leadership talk with them and brought the other players to another side of the pitch. We said, don't pass to the captains no matter what. And uh, we, we started the games off and the captains wouldn't, the captains who were normally either the best players or very vocal people were really angry because they weren't getting like, no one was passing it to them, open goals, no one was passing it to them. And we stopped the game and we said, how's everyone getting on? Captains, give your feedback. The captains were like, we're not, no one's passing it to us. They're going nuts. And we said, that's how it feels to be discriminated against, to be left out. And it was a great way to, to show children, I guess. Well, these were, these were teenagers and children from 10 up to 18, uh, how it feels to be left out. And Jane Elliott did a great, Jane Elliott, we spoke about before with you about, um, who had the, there's only one race, the human race jumper, and she was an activist and American educator. She did this famous Blue Eye Brian, just that idea of understanding how it feels to be left out, discriminated against. She does a great link on YouTube if you get a chance. And um, she does one on, on the Oprah Winfrey show. So, um, so Sari just touched a, touched a, I guess, a, a, a nerve with me in a sense of sports against racism, Ireland. And I think a lot of racism happens in sport, but also sport's a great way to. I guess for inter for different cultures to come together, you know, I think sport brings people together in a great way and a great understanding where you've lots of, like you can see the Irish soccer team now and um, probably not the Irish rugby team as much, to be honest, but um, uh, you know, it, it's a great way to bring people together, you know, and, and I think, um, so that, that was really important to us. And so that's one of the charities we donated, donate to. And then the last one is, which is LGBT Ireland really. So obviously everyone's probably more familiar with that charity than anything else. Some of the members of our team are part of the LGBT community, but I um, probably didn't realize was that um, the power that pride has at the moment, you know, and I know there's been a lot of rainbow washing in the past, um, but I still have to say fair play to companies for, for doing something. It's better than nothing, you know. I know some people just do a bit of tokenism in the flags and the windows and that type of thing, and I'd like to see them do more. I guess this journey we're on is that it's the small steps that lead to bigger change, you know. Um, and I'm wearing a pride t-shirt at the moment. 
this was a t-shirt. It's our best-selling t-shirt. Today one, it's been it's been our best-selling t-shirt. Like we we sell even today, still people buying pride t-shirts. I saw last week, and I'm only gonna name him because he's a you know a masculine rugby player, but Jamie Eastlip, who's captain Ireland before, bought a pride t-shirt line. I love that to see like here you have a man who's got two children. You know, he's, he's married to a female, but yet he's still wearing the pride t-shirt. And I think that's what you need to see. You talk about allyship. Like that. You know, that, that's what makes a difference. So for me, didn't I didn't have I have friends who are part of the LGBT community, but I wasn't in a way, the way Sari and Irish Youth Foundation really directly affected me. But I still think there's something that every day, and we can see that there's still violence against the LGBT community. There's still a lot of work to be done there. And I still think it has to be 365 days a year. It can't be the 25th of June. It can't be just just June in general. It has to be all year round that you got to be supporting Pride. So that's why we keep these T-shirts on sale all year, um, and that's why we we do talks about Pride all year, you know, um, and we do the discrimination talks there all year because it can't be just for a particular time of the year. Connor, I could honestly talk to you all day. You are so fascinating, and the work you're doing is genuinely so positive. And I think that's a really difficult thing to say in this day and age. You know, there's so much to get bogged down in and so much to worry about but like this company is literally doing the work it's not just saying it's doing the work it's doing the work every day so i'll include all the links to the website and instagram and everything so people can go and check it out and support i think it's so so important and just congratulations on everything so far and i cannot wait to see what you do next i'll see you at google i suppose thanks so much connor really appreciate your time